my Pixel 6 running Android 14 is upstairs, but that's fine. I don't think I need it. There's not that much to talk about it for it yet. That's uh, what my hands-on is. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, 300 words longer than yours <laughs> from last year. <laughs> that's a you problem. Yeah, well, you know. It was a James problem this morning, too, when he edited it. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, Android 14 Beta 1 is now available. Will, you have tried this. You have Mm -hmm. written a thousand words or so on uh, what is... Oh, 18. Okay, good. We needed those extra 800 words. Oh, yeah. Uh, to say that oh, yeah. it's not not particularly fleshed out yet. We don't really know what the narrative around Android 14 will be yet, except for refinement, I think, is the is fair. That's the adjective that I, I keep seeing. We have some actual user numbers on Android 13, which is now over six months old. We'll talk a little bit about that, as well as the Pixel 8. People seem to care about small phones. We've talked about this many times. The Pixel 8 actually could be a lot smaller than the Pixel 7 if you're into that. And then, Will, you argue that you really don't need a flagship song in an editorial yeah. that uh, I, I actually agree with. And then Matt reviewed the ROG Phone 7. Uh, there's also an RG Phone 7 Ultimate, which is also kind of That's bananas. actually what he reviewed, too. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a stupid, powerful phone. There's a subwoofer attached to the cooler, which also has a speaker. It's just, it's just, there's a lot. And then HBO Max is gone. We have it in the show notes that you're not allowed to yell about this for more than 90 seconds. So we'll give you, we'll put, we'll have Jules put like a timer on you. We'll say go. And then you will rant for exactly 90 seconds. <laughs> oh, with seconds it ticking if, in the background. It. It's going to be great. So I was going to write 45 seconds in the show notes. Don't let Will yell about this. for. And then I was like, no, that's not long enough. I'm not going to be able to do it. You needed to give yourself more latitude here. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Will, Ara, how are you? I've been back for four days and I still feel like I'm just coming back from vacation mode, which is not a great thing. How was your vacation? uh, Went to a lot of fireworks. Did the Magic Kingdom dessert party for the first time. That was really great. And then... My birthday was awesome. So it was a pretty nice week. I did not do as much like actual like rest and recuperation as I probably could have done. And I read an absolutely obscene amount of web comics. That sounds productive, actually. Yeah, but I didn't That's what get your birthday should be any like. of the three baskets of laundry folded and I didn't tackle the uh, backlog of th- other things that need to be washed, folded and put away. That's why you need to live near a wash and fold. Yeah, but then you have to do all of it at once, and it costs money, whereas the washer in my unit is free, and I don't have to worry about Except labor. my shit. You're not accounting for labor. Your labor. <laughs> and apparently that's not free because you won't do it. So there's the argument for paying somebody a nominal fee to do it for you. Oh, you're talking about like actually paying for the full service. Oh, no. When you said like a... Uh, Next near live near a laundromat. I thought you meant like go and do all your loads at once and then have to fold all your loads at once. No, I'm saying there are amazing, amazing services that will just do it for you. And you just get this nice, beautiful, transparent plastic bag with all of your clothes and sheets folded, nice and presentable. You don't have to worry about it. It's amazing. Capitalism. Let's do it. 
We absolutely do not have the time to get into it yeah. this week, but I do just want to say that I bought a cordless vacuum last weekend. I finally ponied up and bought one, and I want to say that I'm more convinced than ever that Robovacs are a scam, yep. and everyone should just buy a cordless vacuum. It's a game changer. Well, okay, we don't have time to get into it. You're correct, but I'll give you 45 seconds to tell me about <laughs> what it is and yeah. why somebody should get it. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. I mean, so like cordless vacuums are like three times the price of a, of a normal vacuum for the same amount of suction, but it's got a battery in it. And so you don't <laughs> have to plug it in. That only lasts like 15 minutes. Uh, on auto mode, I've had no issue getting through my entire house. It, the couple carpets that I do put on max mode, it lasts like running at max mode continuously. It's like 11 or 12 minutes, but I've had no issue vacuuming my house. Yeah, no, it's great. It's just you. it now takes like 10 15 minutes maybe to do my entire house and you just walk around with it and you don't have to like plug it in or whatever what is it and, you're bearing the uh, yeah what's the... it's just a vacuum with a battery on but it what, what's, great. what's the product Time. what's the name oh uh <laughs> the Tenneco pure one s11 dual Okay, so it's not like a Dyson. You didn't spend like six hundred dollars. I was, I was like, fi- I that's where I was going. Three hundred like fishing for this. Like, where no, you, no, no. You- I spent three hundred dollars. It was, it was a Best Buy deal of the day. That it's normally four hundred dollars. So I saved a hundred. Gentlemen, we are like five minutes in and haven't talked about Android yet. Oh no, that's Android normal. 14. That's what, that's what Will and I do all the time. We're just bringing you back into the fold here. This is how I know Ara didn't listen to last week's show because Jules had to cut out the fifteen minutes. No, no, he didn't cut it. He just <laughs> he, he put, just put it at the end. But like, like still, like that was how the show started. I was out for my birthday and for mental health. I was not supposed to look at work. <laughs> and I'm proud of you for not doing it. Even though at one point, I think you offered to come back and record the podcast and we told you. Yeah. No. Any Android 14. Android 14. Okay. We had two developer previews. We now have a beta. Yep. It came right on time. Middle of April. We're going to get four beta releases until the end of July, middle, beginning of August, and then Android 14 will be or, or to the do masses. We, we, read my hands-on where I argue that this just kind of feels like developer preview three. Okay. Tell me. What's up? I don't know. Like More than ever, this beta is just some of the stuff we saw either hinted at or behind like flags you have to manually enable. They're now here, which is great, but my main takeaway is I still don't really know even compared to Android 13, which I think we all agree was a cleanup job after the big update, which was Android 12. Like this feels like a cleanup job from Android 13, but it's like when you're cleaning up an already tidy house, it's like you're not really doing anything. You're just kind of moving stuff around. I'm not mad about any of the changes. And aside from predictive back gestures, like everything feels really small. And even that is small to like a general user. It's just cool to us, the nerds who are going to report about this every day. I quote Red Letter Media in my hands-on about the predictive back gestures, which is like, for most people, they're not going to notice it, but their brain will. And like, that's a cool feature. And I know Google put a lot of work into it, but I don't know how much it'll matter if app developers don't adopt it anyway. And that's kind of the marquee feature for me, which is still, again, it's like small. So like, I'm looking for a theme or an idea of what this update is supposed to be. The Android 14 logo is the bug droid in space. And I'm like, is there something that like, I don't, I usually by the first beta, I usually feel like we have an idea of what Android is doing this year. And it just kind of feels like, yeah, we've got a lava lamp effect over the media player. And I'm like, that could have come in a QPR update. I'm not bummed about it. I'm just a little confused over like what I'm supposed to be thinking of here. Right. I mean, I'll say this, right? There's a couple things that spring to mind here. One is when 
most people who upgraded from Android 12 to Android 13 on a Samsung phone, for instance, right? One UI 4 to One UI 5, especially those who were on phones that were running Android 12L, so the Fold and the Flip, there was almost no perceptible difference to the user experience, right? I think even Google is acknowledging here that with the new system of releasing QBRs, and those actually do bring some substantive changes, the pressure is lessened to make annual releases marquee the way that they used to be. And you can see this in the first paragraph of Dave Burke's blog post that he wrote about Android 14 Beta 1. He said, today we're releasing the first beta of Android 14, building around our core themes of privacy, security, performance, developer, productivity, and user customization. But they say that every year. (laughs) And uh, you could almost say verbatim. Yeah. He basically just has a template. That's what Android 13 was. changes the number. (laughs) Yeah. And this has been going on for, what, four or five years now? As you said, it's not a bad thing. I think no refinement upon refinement is the name of the game. And then what will likely happen is every five years or so, there's going to be some sort of visual or modal sea change that will be built into Android. And it will then take another half decade to trickle down to all of the OEM partners that will upgrade to that version. So whether this is a big release or not, it's interesting that at beta one, we are now past the point where anybody really cares. Right. Well, we just haven't gotten there yet. Here's the thing. Beta one is not about adding new features. Beta one is about making sure people get onto the version of Android with the new APIs and the new tools on the developer side. We don't need to see anything user facing in Android 14 in beta one. Well, But that's what developer preview one is for that's not even like this is a public beta as opposed to like the developer previews where you have to jump through hoops to install which to that point i almost feel like if these changes are going to be so small and really this long runway is for developers to get their apps up to speed for all the new sdks and stuff like that like maybe we should have more developer previews and we should only do a couple open betas in the summer no but this is where they get the feedback on if anything breaks current devices or devices that have not been like flashed because whenever you do the developer preview you have to flash your device you'll lose all your data well they should maybe try running beta one because this is uh shockingly buggy Ara, last year you wrote our Android 13 hands-on and you made a big deal in it, rightfully so. And we did on this podcast too, I believe, about how smooth and stable the first beta was. Like out the gate, it was like, yeah, you can probably put this on your daily driver and be fine. And like this year, despite the fact that there are somehow fewer changes, it, it <laughs> the fingerprint sensor just doesn't work anymore at all. Uh, carrier status, like your cell service status, is like completely broken. I uninstalled two apps in a row, and both times the phone hung for like six seconds as I was uninstalling apps. Like, I I don't know if that's a widespread thing. That was just a personal thing I noticed. Like, this feels like another developer preview to me in terms of bugginess. And I would say, like, honestly, no one should put this on their phone. Certainly not their daily driver, but no one should put this on like. Just wait for beta two in a few weeks at IO or even just a beta 1.1 because this thing is like kind of a mess in a way that I didn't expect because again, there are so few changes that I don't know how it's not more stable. I don't know. The thing is you also, there's no reason for regular enthusiasts to put this on their phone yet because it doesn't have enough features for it to be worth it for us. So it's 
a matter of wait and see for most people unless you absolutely have to have the latest bleeding edge of Android, in which case you knew what you were getting when you downloaded this. So we have basically one more, I don't want to say milestone because that's that sends the wrong message, but we have one more place where Google can really announce big features for Android 14 and can spell out what this update is supposed to be. And that's IO. It's on May 10th. Unless there's, but there's, there's nothing in the tea leaves here. There's, there's nothing really buried in beta one that suggests that we'll be seeing a ton of new features in beta two, which is usually how it works. Like you'll see like developer preview one comes out and there's a bunch of little things. And then suddenly those things are active or at least rising the service in developer preview two. And then even more so in beta one. And it's not there right now. And so I feel like we're not going to hear much about Android 14 at IO. Like we're going to hear a lot about AI. We're going to hear a lot about devices we might hear about how ai ties into android 14 that's kind of my big question mark but like i don't know like i just think this is going to be an even smaller update than last year and i'm okay to, with to that your point like amazingly enough i am i am okay with this being a small android version update there is no need to try and smush a whole bunch of things in here unless they are fully cooked and ready for prime time and worth it for the user I don't want Google to turn Android into the same thing as One UI, where we will just jam in all of these features just so we have a bunch of things to talk about on stage. But don't you miss the excitement, Ara? I I, I don't miss having phones that were broken for months at a time. My after... Pixel 6 is broken. The fingerprint sensor works even less than it did before. No, no, no. no. I, well, I you, don't... Don't, you don't get to complain about a beta. I know, like, I know. The first beta I'm... is supposed to be broken. I don't think that's an issue here. I think... What R is saying and what I think is is worth pointing out is we know that the people that listen to this podcast more likely have a Pixel than a Samsung phone, but they know all about One UI and they know all about the different skins and 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 the, the various features that you would find on a on a Xiaomi phone and an Oppo phone or whatever or you know OnePlus slash I mean it's Oxygen OS is basically Color OS so it's the same thing you know, Spider-Man pointing at, at, at himself. But <laughs> I think it's important to point out that Google has learned its lesson. It knows that as important as the Pixel experience is to the small user base of Pixel owners, it's more important for Samsung and Oppo and Xiaomi to get stable code quickly that it can then roll out as soon as possible to its users. Because all of these companies are now promising two, three, four years of platform updates. And there's a reason the DPs start earlier and earlier. There's a reason the betas are now starting in April, not May, as they used to. It's giving a longer runway for testing. And I will say, you know, just anecdotally, and I'm sure people who use phones from Chinese OEMs will, will agree with me, this has benefited companies like Xiaomi and Oppo to a huge degree. Because when I tried using MIUI last year or the year before on like the Xiaomi 11 and the Xiaomi 12, it was garbage. It was unusable. Even the global ROMs were unusable. They were so bad, so buggy, so unoptimized. And Android 13 was the first time that I used Xiaomi's OS, Oppo's OS, and felt like they were taking lessons from Google. And I do believe that's because of this tighter collaboration between Google and the OEMs, but also it's that longer runway that allows them to do 
more testing around the core Android experience, not just tacking on a bunch of useless features to the OS so that they can put it in their marketing stuff. This is obviously not impacting Samsung as much because Samsung has been here forever. It's been doing this for a long time. And like or hate One UI, it's a stable OS, more so than Pixel for most people. But I do think it is this decision to be more careful about iteration is benefiting the smaller nascent Android OEMs that have now been forced to promise four years of platform updates. And before we're like, oh shit, we don't have the R&D. We don't know what to do. And it's just not worth it. So behind the scenes, this is definitely what's going on. I mean, that's my theory, but I think there is definitely something to it that Google's slowing down on the major changes to make it a better experience for OEMs actually uphold the promise of updating their phones for four or five years. You both are making sensible takes uh, that that, um, are good for the industry. Uh, but I do want. And you my, don't care, new, but I do you want, want my new, new toys. Yeah. <laughs> you want my shiny That's, new well, toys. and here's the other thing about that: some of those new toys might not necessarily be Android 14. They might be Pixel features that I know. ship with Android 14. I, I know, I know this, and we'll see those. Like those will appear in later betas because they always do, which makes writing about Android betas so fun because you have to play the game of is this for everybody or for Pixel? Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you have to issue a correction because you're like, oops, I guessed wrong. Our favorite game um, of the year. But uh, yeah, I hear both of you and you're making good points, but I want I want my new toy. Also, I mean, let's just turn this into the next point. Android 13 is only running on 12% of phones. I'm, I'm well, actually more... I, I think that number is slightly deceptive. In what way? Because this is everything that runs Android and reports to Google Play services. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't just include the phones, this includes the tablets, this includes Android TV devices. This involves everything that can get the Google Play Store on it. That even includes like car stereos at this point. So I think the number is Mm -hmm. slightly deceptive because there are so many uh, other devices in this category that either were never intended to get Android 14, or if they are, they are going to get it much later down the line. Yeah, that's true. Because the other thing to think about here is basically every Galaxy A and Galaxy S phone sold in the last year, maybe year and a half, pretty much all of those have been updated to Android 13, along with Pixels, any new OnePlus phones, basically everything new. Crickets on Motorola. I was going to say, basically everything new that is above the budget phone section, and even a number of those are shipping with Android 13 these days, all of that is Android 13, and those are the new phones that people are buying. They're not the old phones that somebody just still has plugged in somewhere charging in case they ever need it, and it's not any of the phones that have been just like hand-me-downs to the kids and whatnot, because people will keep using phones for other purposes instead of like trading them in when they still have value. I think I agree that these numbers are probably a little misleading because like you said, like this is everything that connects to the Play Store, but I still, it still is like a little frustrating that you look at this chart and it's like, okay, yeah, Android 13 is up to 12%. Certainly Android 12 is the most, right? No, it's Android 11 and then Android 10 and then Android 12 and then Android 13. Yeah. But also you have to realize like if you compare January to April, which we can do because that was the last time the distribution stats were updated. The Android 13 share has increased from 5% to 12%. And that's a pretty significant jump in only three months. I mean, you're not wrong. The jump from Android uh, 12 to Android 13 
those are phones that have been updated, right? And or we're not seeing Oreo and Pi like drop off because as you said, are those are legacy devices that will never get updates. They are IoT devices, entertainment devices, car stereos, things like that, that do have the Play services. Yeah. They're not forked Android, but they're still, nobody's expecting their car stereo to get an Android 13 update tomorrow. Oh, yeah. But it does speak to the fact that Samsung specifically has massive, is, is a massive mover. And when Samsung decides to update not just its flagships, but its A series devices to Android 13 in a timely manner, right? We saw the first Android 13 releases for the S series come in late 2022, right? So that's why by January we had 5%, but now we're seeing that trickle down to the A-series devices and that has benefited this distribution chart greatly. So you're right. Like if we had an ability to break out phones- I would love for them to, if they're only going to give it to us every three months, can we please have a pie chart for each like device type? Give me one for phones, give me one for tablets, give me one for IoT devices and- miscellaneous like if we're only going to get these numbers once every 90 days break it down for me a little bit more but that would be lovely but i don't see anybody like there's no incentive for google to do this it's why it reports what the type of device it is when it reports itself to google because this is for developers and the developers know the devices that are using their products and that's really all that they care about. We are the ones that want to take this at a macro level and slice and dice and create pivot charts. At least I do, but that's not interesting to Google. There's no consumer benefit to them. There's no, yes, I mean, Apple trots up the stat every year or they used to, but like if anybody who understands the way Android is distributed, they're not going to look at this number of 13% or 12% and go, oh, that's garbage, because you're going to compare it to the place that Android 12 was in the previous year and realize that we're trending way faster for Android 13 adoption than we are for Android 12 adoption. And that's actually basically all to Samsung's credit. Like you cannot say this is a pixel thing. This is not a huge increase in pixel user base. This is Samsung straight up. So props to Samsung for leading on this. This is excellent. This is semi-related uh, to old Android versions. Can I tell you guys something coming in the mail today that I'm really excited about? Yes, please. I am working on an HTC One M7 retrospective that <gasps> should be up in the middle of next week. Oh, I'm uh, so but excited. But I don't have one anymore because I four or five months into owning it, it was around Christmas time, 2013, and I got out of a friend's car and I didn't know that the phone was like in my lap. In your uh, lap. And it fell in a puddle and cracked and died. Because phones weren't waterproof back then. Rip. So like that phone is long gone, but I loved it to the point where I bought the M8 like out of pocket, like a, you know, a year later or whatever. Didn't like it as much, to be honest. So I'm writing about it. I have fond memories of it, but I really need one for photos and, you know, just to kind of mess around with. So I have a, I, have a, I bought an M7 on, uh, on eBay that will be here today and I'm very Amazing. excited for it. I'm very yeah. excited about this. Okay. Let's run through the rest of these points. Pixel 8 could be a lot smaller than the Pixel 7. Don't say a lot. Mm. I mean, yeah, this is this it's is all relative, lot. right? We're talking about screen size, not necessarily like the dimensions of the phone, although it does seem like it is considerably shorter and slightly narrower based on CAD renders. But according to Ross Young, who gets, uh, he's in the supply chain for displays, 
he thinks that the Pixel 8 screen will drop from 6.3 inches to 6.16 inches and that the Pixel 8 Pro is staying at 6.7 inches, but the actual physical dimensions of the device will be smaller for the Pixel 8 than the Pixel 7. Yeah, this is in line with previous rumors, which had it pegged at a 6.2 inch screen, which is like just rounding up. So like I the same way that we round down when we talk about the Pixel 7, we say 6.3 and not 6.32. So but I really put this in the show notes. I can hear Ara's. I mean, this is almost S23 size. Ara, you must be a little excited about it. I'm excited for the Pixel 8 to be smaller. Mm-hmm. But we can't say that it's like <laughs> going to be majorly. Sm- this is not going to be a small phone. This is just going to be a smaller phone. Yeah. If you want to give us a small phone, give me something that's six inches or give me 5.9 or 5.8. But we are not going to get that because that is not popular anymore. This is a bigger discussion than we have time for today. But when do yeah. we just decide that, unfortunately, this is just what a small phone is now and we have to talk about it in relative terms of like, there are no phones left with displays under six inches. Like even the Zen phone 10 is rumored to have a, I think it's 6.1 inch screen. I think it's some, it's six point something. This is just it now. This is what you get for small phones other than, you know, the Z Flip 5, technically. I think it relates to the layout of apps, the complexity of apps, and how much text you can fit on a screen without the text just getting ridiculously small. Because I will admit, I love my Galaxy S23. I love the size when I'm doing everything except reading. When I'm reading, I would like it to be a little bit bigger, especially because all of my webcomic apps, I think only like one of them has the ability to like pinch and zoom if text is too small. So I understand why people want more space, especially when we have a global population that is getting older and older, especially here in the United States. So I I understand that small phones don't necessarily make the most sense to the people who are most likely to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a flagship phone. But there are some of us. There are dozens of us. And we would really like to see at least some appreciation. If we're going to get a 6.1 inch. all blue. Yeah. If we're going to get a 6.1, 6 inch Pixel 8, I would really love for the Pixel 7a to be even smaller. It's trending Please. that way. I mean, no, that's this is it. I think this is about as yeah, small probably. as it's going to get. Yeah, I know. But I'm more excited about the fact Pixel 7 or Pixel 8 seems to be trending closer to the Pixel 8 Pro phone in general. The Pixel 7 was good. I think I could live with the 90 hertz display. I could live with the lack of telephoto, but the display quality compared to the 7 Pro, and obviously you won't know this unless you have the both of them side by side, but the display quality is so bad. And I've said, I think I've said this on the show before, like it's not it's even fine. I, I've not it's noticed not, this. It's big not. Drop it's in not quality. good. It's just not good. It's not. I know it's a five. It's a six hundred dollar phone. I know all this. It's just. I. It's not acceptable. To me. So that's my opinion. But you can. You can feel free to disagree. Well, let me talk about my editorial where I say that you only need the six hundred dollar phone. Okay, go. <laughs> Go. Thanks for setting yes. that up. Good. So that's literally next in our show notes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've kind of become obsessed with this budget flagship space where like the Pixel 7 and the OnePlus 11 live and kind of the Zenfone 9 from last year if you're looking at smaller brands and like probably the Nothing Phone 2 when that drops later this summer, of, you know, which I, I we don't know pricing yet, but we'll probably be in this like 600-ish dollar range. But yeah, I've kind of come obsessed with the idea of like 
it's a flagship phone with a couple corners cut to reach a much cheaper price than like the $1,200 S23 Ultra or even like the $900 Pixel 7 Pro. Like I am more aware of like most people probably don't need everything that an S23 Ultra offers them or even an S23 in general and like can be happy with this space. Now, the, the issue here and kind of where this editorial came from is that like Samsung doesn't have anything here. Like it goes from the S23 down to the A54 in the US, which is like that is a mid-range phone, which is not what I'm talking about. The FE series would be where this fits, except they screwed up the pricing on the S21 FE. The S22 FE didn't exist. The S23 FE is like Schrodinger's phone at this point. It either is or is not in a box somewhere. <laughs> like the most recent report is that it does exist, but it's using an Exynos 2200, which was like a terrible chip in the S22 series internationally. Like go ask ZKD. He will talk to you about it for hours. So I don't know. Like Samsung is kind of missing this space, but I just think that like the thing you miss out on. So like the Pixel 7, for example, I disagree with Daniel's read on the screen, but let's put that aside for a second. Like the biggest thing you miss out on is like the telephoto lens, which a lot of people in the comments seem they really like longer lenses on phones or more photo capabilities. But at the same time, like you can take that price difference and you can put it towards like an actual camera or something like an actual not just carrying a phone, which was a point I was going to make in the editorial and then decided against because I had a feeling people were going to get mad at me for suggesting you buy a dedicated camera rather than a phone. But yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I am on the budget flagship space. I think it's really interesting and I would like to see more competition in it because I don't think most people need a $1,200 smartphone. I think you're absolutely right. The great news is that most even $450 phones, right? We just published our A54 review today are excellent. It's interesting that there is no FE style device anymore in the US market. And I wonder if it's because most people still buy their phones on installment plans through carriers and that if you are choosing to buy an unlocked phone, most people's budget is $500 or under. So that 450 price point is kind of perfect. You either get it for almost nothing on an installment plan or you're just going to splurge and buy it outright. And Samsung didn't see the point of continuing to sell a $600 phone in the US. Well, they sell a $600. Well, do they? Basically a $600 phone in the US, and that is the Galaxy S22 or the S21 at this point. No, they don't. Since they're keeping the old flagship around. They're not really. The benefit of like this budget flagship space that they could compete in is that you would be buying a phone that is starting at the at like it's at the starting point of its update cycle. It's not in the middle of it where in two years it's going to be done with updates, which might be fine for some people. But like, you know, that that is a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, though. I think uh, quality of let's say cheaper or mid-range phones is at the point now where flagships don't really tell you their value inherently but at the same time the line between flagship and non-flagship has been disappearing forever and it's just not clear now why you would need to spend i think the s23 plus is like that perfect example of it's actually probably the best phone in the series at the worst possible price, because it does not tell you why it's worth $1,000. At least with the Ultra, you get that impression that they've given you something to tell your friends you spent this amount of money on a really big, really feature-rich phone. You know, it has a stylus, it has this stupid telephoto camera that can take fake photos of the moon. 
But with the S23 Plus, like it's just in this never, never land, this like purgatory space of pricing that used to mean something, right? When the iPhone 10 came out in 2017 at $1,000 and then Samsung followed suit with the Note 10 at $1,000, everybody was like, okay, I get it. I'm putting my line in my, my, you know, this, I'm drawing a line in the sand. This is a $1,000 phone today. This is what you get. I think we are no longer able to justify that after Google has released phones like the Pixel 7 at $600. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I completely agree with you. I mean, once the Pixel 6a has wireless charging, I mean, like, that is a quintessential, like, this phone now has everything except a kick-ass telephoto lens. Because it'll have a 90 hertz screen, it will have water resistance, it will have just as good a processor as the one in the Pixel 7 and Pixel 7 Pro, and it will have a similar camera experience. I mean, all of that for 450 which will then get discounted to crap because the Pixel 6a has seen sure. so many sales. Yeah, that's true yeah. too. $299 for this thing? Like, come on. The mid-range space is flush with competition right now, I think. Like, that was kind of why I didn't write about that specifically is because there's so much in it. But like, this idea of like, well, maybe I want something a little bit nicer than what the 7a will be. Like, there is also a lot more options there as well. I'm really curious how the Nothing Phone 2 will do in this space because I think there's an opportunity there for them to honestly impress but yeah well we also just have these ridiculous sales i mean the oh, pixel 7 is like down to 350 <laughs> right know. now which no, is less than a pixel exactly. and the pixel 6a is down to 250 and i'm like at these prices why would i recommend anything else i agree this leads us into a very quick the segue seven ultimate let's yeah. talk about this 1400 <laughs> yeah. euro rg phone 7 the embargo lifted Day 2D and, Mark and MKBHD put out their videos. I watched this insane unboxing experience. Asus made like a freaking game out of the box that you use really to launch cool. it. It's, it looks incredible. <laughs> like seriously. Yeah. It's got all these accessories. It's got like a copper cooling fin that like pops out. It's just wild. So when you talk about like what you get for 1400 euros, this is kind of it. So Matt, our gaming editor, walked. Uh, he, he reviewed the cheaper... 999 no, more euro expensive. version more expensive he reviewed the ultimate i i feel yeah. like our headline should probably reflect that and i'll fix it live on this recording okay I, then i i apologize but he he did write about both of them in the review and yeah. talked about the differences it's got a snapdragon hn2 with a better copper pipe graphite cooler that allows it to dispel heat more effectively so it can sustain performance for longer it has a 6.8 inch 165 hertz bright oled display it has 16 gigs of RAM, 512 gigs of storage, a 6,000 milliamp hour battery, two USB-C ports. It's got a headphone jack. The cameras are apparently not terrible. It's got 65 watt charging. It's even IP rated and it comes with all these insane accessories. Yeah. I mean, this thing is, is obviously not meant for the average person. It's got an OLED display on the back to show you cool animations. I love that Matt is playing Vampire Survivors in this review like that. Well, you got to drive those graphics. <laughs> like that's what you need yeah. to show off the graphical abilities of this. <sighs> At the same time, like there is not a ton that can use this power on Android. No, so no. I mean, you're talking about like Genshin and like COD Mobile, I guess, right? That's still around, right? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Hey, but there are the... plenty of people who play those games. Oh, no, I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting. When I think of like high-end mobile games right now, I think of Genshin. But yeah, I mean, this thing is just, it's 
Matt absolutely loved it. I edited the review for him and he gave it a 9.5 out of 10, which is, God, I want to say like the highest rating we've given a phone in uh, several years, maybe like he just loved this thing. So, but, but I, also like it's, it, it, it's meant for a particular audience. It's meant for him. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is like, a, Oh a yeah, phone absolutely. This Matt. is the most Matt phone. Yeah. <laughs> I almost wanted to say this is a midlife crisis of a phone, like the, <laughs> the, the midlife crisis Corvette that people will buy. No, but this is that's a unfair truck. to the phone because this phone, you actually can tell what they spent the money on. Yeah. It has a clear and all narrative. Of the bells and whistles. Yeah. They're goofy, but you lean in. Cause that's how gaming devices are. It's, we are going to go big. We are going to go flashy, but we are still going to get the job done as efficiently as we can. I'm cementing this now and then we can move on. The, the ROG Phone 7 Ultimate is is an $80,000 pickup truck. Uh, it's way flashier and gaudier than it needs to be. And it might kill you if you're walking in front of it in a crosswalk. OK, we can move on. <laughs> OK. All right. Let's finish things off talking a little bit about HBO Max is just now Max. It's merging with Discovery Plus. It's going to be. The next best thing in reality TV slash White Lotus, um, HBO, or I guess now, what's it called? Warner Max. Discover. Oh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, Warner Brothers Discover. They had their the sort of investment presentation uh, laid out the next few months of their title slate. I am excited about a few of them. True Detective season four starring Jodie Foster and set in Alaska, just like that's right up my alley. Obviously, I'm a, I, I loved the first first and third season of True Detective was a great television. Second season was awful, but uh, good stuff. Clone High is coming back after 20 yeah. years. Just I could not be more excited about this uh, with the original cast. And then there is some weird stuff uh, like a the ten- penguin. The pe- okay, fine. The penguin, yes, but <laughs> is that really a weird one? I mean, no, I that's feel like they're weird. just trying to capitalize the on I'm that. Just, I'm just shouting out anyway. that Colin. I get to watch ten episodes of Colin Farrell just in a fat suit, and that's that's for me. That exists for me. The the weird one is the te- is the decade long Harry Potter show that I'm really not sure. You what mean bad? Do it's more bad than weird. <laughs> that's bad, but it's it's a weird decision to be like, hey, in 2023, we're gonna lean in. To J.K. Rowling, let's just fucking well, let's let's Hogwarts just... Legacy sold. I think I'm seeing here a trillion copies. Yes, I know. So... I'm not. I'm not like surprised. I'm just. I'm disappointed. Is what I am. I don't sure. think this is needed. We have seven movies. Eight. This has already been Eight, litigated. Like, 11. go watch the movies again. Go go watch Crimes of Grindelwald. Exactly. I don't <laughs> play Hogwarts Legacy. Right, it already exists. This doesn't exist yet. They have a choice. They don't have to do this is what I'm well, saying. Okay, the, the but they're issue... going to because Warner Brothers Discovery just has proven that they cannot make good decisions when it comes to content. They're making great decisions when it comes to cheap content as in like all yeah, their reality stuff that they're pulling. It's going to be yeah, no, no, I'm not talking about expensive. I'm not talking about Harry Potter. I'm talking about all the stuff they're shoveling in from Discovery. Oh, yeah, no, it's going to make them so much. They're going to do great. The biggest issue with this Harry Potter thing is that, like, they used in their stupid, like, 10-second trailer to announce it, they used, like, the John Williams score from the movies and the iconography from the movies to, like, se- like you're, I don't know, it's going to be a disaster. There's no way it makes it through 10 years. I'm calling it now. It's not. It won't. It's, it's going to be. Da- anyway, there's a new Game of Thrones series. Terrible title. That- can't even remember. Was our flag means death in the list? Because I have not seen the list. No, I I'm just sitting over here in a corner when we know it's coming back, flag. but it, it, yeah. it wasn't in here. So this Game of Thrones series is interesting. It's set a hundred year, hundred years before the current prequel. I think it's it takes place. It's um 
Daenerys's great grandfather Egg, uh, and and the knight Dunk. So Dunk and Egg is a, a kind of like a duo that is referenced in the in the series many times. Is like this, they go off on adventures. It's sort of it's sort of like um, uh, Don Quixote. You know, this idea mm. of like you go these two guys. It's it's his. It's this like massive knight and his um, loyal apprentice that go off and fight uh, for 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 good across the Seven Kingdoms, right? So it's called the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, the Hedge Knight. So I love that they had to get knight in there twice. This seems to be a theme. Can't make decent titles. It's a but, terrible uh, title. Anyway, this, this might seem interesting. Uh, the Regime, starring Kate w- Winslet. Uh, I don't know what this is yet. It's coming next year. It's a limited series. Looks absolutely amazing. Just this, like, basically... Yeah, and we can skip all that because, Vader, I think you need to be somewhere real quick. <laughs> yeah, I do. All right, that's it. We're going to leave it there. Ara, Will, thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah. I apologize for my audio. For anybody that noticed, I don't have great audio this week. I am not at home. I'm in Montreal using a pair of cheap wired earbuds, but I'm sure Jules will make me sound as, as good as I possibly be. If you have any feedback for us, send it to podcastandandroidpolice.com. We do love hearing from you. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.